Turn with me, if you would, this morning to John chapter 19. We'll be reading verses 28 through verse 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Lord, again, we do thank you that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. That, Lord, you completed everything necessary for us, that which we could not do. And, Lord, you gave us eternal life. And so you made us yours. Lord, who were given to you before the foundation of the world. We thank you for it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So we come back to this chapter now and we see that as we've begun, remember that in the Gospels, not everything is written that Christ did in each one of them. And as you glean through them, you find things that are there that others don't have. And so as we look again this morning, we start, remember, we've spoken about the seven sayings of Christ on the cross. Remember, as He has been nailed to the cross that morning, He begins with these sayings, and the first three deal with individuals. First of all, He prays to the Father that He would forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Then there are two other criminals placed on beside Him. One of them believes, and He says to Him, Today will you be with Me in paradise. And then there was this story with his mother as he and she and John and the other women are there at the foot of the cross and Jesus calls her woman showing forth that now his relationship to her her is no longer I'm your son you're my mother I'm God in flesh now you must bow for me you too also must believe God has blessed you and he says now again behold your son now he says to John, the, God, the apostle who wrote this gospel, he says to him, Behold your mother. And it says from that moment on, she lived with him. Now, why was it that she was living to him and not her own other sons? First of all, we're told by John in chapter 7 that they had not yet come to believe. They would believe after the resurrection. But at this point, they are unbelieving. John is the believer. Remember, also John is a first cousin of Jesus in the flesh. Salome, his mother, is Mary's sister. And also, John has a house, along, and Peter has a house, there are two places they have, has a home in Jerusalem, which from this point on will be the center focus of the work and the growth of the church. And so everybody will be in Jerusalem. And so now we see God's blessing will be upon them because her sons and daughters will all believe, but not yet. And so now we see there's the first three. And now after this, we find there are three hours of darkness in the earth. And we find in that time, we see the veil of the temple is rent in two, opening up the way of the world into God through faith in Jesus Christ by His blood. There's an earthquake. And for three hours, there is this darkness over all the world. And now Christ is there.
probably at least three hours. We don't know exactly what time in the morning that he was crucified, probably between 9 and 11 o'clock he was placed on the cross. And so the first three sayings of the cross are finished, and now the light comes back, and we see Jesus with the other criminals sitting on the cross there in agony. Nobody's probably said many things. You could probably in the darkness hear them their groans. But now the sun has reappeared. And so we see, he says again, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's like the light comes. And now he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The darkness of sin. And as though, again, where God is not, there is darkness. And for this little while, this three hours, probably five hours, four hours, on the cross and going through His death, again, the Father has rejected Him, and not only rejected Him by turning His back, He's also inflicted upon Him all the punishment of sin upon all the people who He will save. Upon Christ. For them he receives their, the payment of sin. And so now, after these sayings, he says, now, he says, I thirst. And then he says, it is finished. And now John doesn't place the la very last thing where he, where he says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. It's not there. But now death comes. In verse 28 through 29, we see some preliminary things happening to prepare us. In verse 28, he says, he already tells us, everything for salvation is done now. He says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. It's interesting. The word he ends with, in verse 28, he says twice. In the, in the Greek, the root word is the same word that he uses when he says it is finished. The word translated accomplished is the identical word that he says it is finished. So he's already preparing. He's already understanding. He's at the last moments of his work when he will fulfill all that the Father has given him to do. He will fulfill it all. And so he says now it is accomplished. Now notice that the Scripture would be fulfilled. I don't know how many times in John's Gospel that happens. It's over and over in all the Gospels. But you'll see, it is finished. It is fulfilled as it was spoken of. The Scriptures. All through His life we find these places where we look back in the Scriptures. This was fulfilled. That was fulfilled. On the cross there were several of these things that is accomplished just as, as He's hanging on the cross or going through His trial. But now he says again, it is accomplished and that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. This is an interesting word because the first time you ever hear it in Scriptures in chapter 2 of Genesis, what's happened there? Remember Christ has finished completing His creation. He says, and He finished His creation. God rested and after He finished His work, He rested. We see it used also in the book of Revelation when God destroys the world. 
But there he doesn't use the word finish, meaning something done in the past with continuing results. He uses the word and he says it twice. In chapter 6, he says, it is done. Chapter six of, uh, 16 of Revelation, when he's talking about the destruction of the world, the burning up of the earth and the heavens. Chapter 21, he says, it is done. It's completed. There's nothing coming after it. It will be burned to ashes, but then out of the ashes, God says, He will make a new heaven and a new earth. And so we see in these verses as Christ comes to this end. And so now in verse 25, He says, And now, now this, the darkness has passed. He's thinking now, He's looking around Him. He can still see His mother and John and the other women there who will come and claim his body very soon. And he again says, I thirst. And so when he asks that again, now when he says, I thirst, again, it goes back to the scripture. In Psalm 22, verse 7, it talks about he thirsted and they gave him vinegar to drink. Psalm 69, again, it tells us both. It says, they gave him gall to drink with wine. Now, why didn't he drink it? The first time, this is when he's first on the cross. They give him and offer him gall placed in wine so that he could drink it. Gall or myrrh was a sedative. It was something that reduced the pain. It was a relief. In some sense, it was a kindness of of, of the Roman soldiers to give them this so that they could have a little bit of peace. Christ says, no. Christ says, I come to do the will of my Father. I'm not going to sleep through it. I'm not going to take relaxation and to get, escape what's there. I'm going through it consciously and willfully at every point. And there in Psalm 69 it says, they gave me gall and myrrh to drink. Now, also it says then, also they gave me water mixed with vinegar. Again, some people think that was terrible. Actually, vinegar mixed with water, or actually water mixed with a little bit of vinegar, was, was a common drink for the people of Israel, just the normal people. Rich people were the ones who had wine at every meal. But the common people would take wine that had been spoiled by becoming vinegar and they would put it in their water and they would drink it all over. The soldiers, this is what they drank when they were marching. So it wasn't something bad. It was also kind of a common nicety, of, again, to him who is in so much anger. And Christ says, I thirst. But now as we come to verse 30, we see, And when therefore he had received the vinegar... He revived. See, he had been from anywhere from 9 to 11 o'clock being placed on the cross, the beginnings of all these things, and now then the first three sayings on the cross as he says goodbye to his mother on the earth at this point. But now, again, he's gone through the other sayings. He's finished everything but there was one thing he will give himself into the Father's hands. But now when he says, a thirst, 
He's doing that so now he's preparing himself so that he can let out that final one word that tells everybody it is finished, it is completed, it is fulfilled. It's not enough just to say those words. Many people just believe, well, he died, that the pain was gone, it was finished. But when we look at the word, it's interesting. First of all, the word used here is a perfect tense word. Now, just let me just explain that to you just simply. We don't have the perfect tense in the English. We would say, John got out of prison yesterday, and he's still out of prison as far as I know. But if I just use the common past tense, I would say, John got out of prison. I'm not telling you what's happened after he got out of prison. Is he still out, or is he back in? The perfect tense in the Greek here tells us, again, that Jesus, when he says, it is finished, he's saying, it was finished and completed in the past tense. This is what's happened. It's finished, fulfilled, but there are continuing results. We see this over and over in John, especially when Jesus is talking about his sheep. In chapter 6, remember, he says, no man can come and do it except the Father give it to him. And all that the Father hath given me shall come unto me. Why? Because they're His. In John 6, 39, All which the Father hath given me shall come unto me. That's a perfect tense. God the Father has given to Him a people for Himself. When? Before the foundation of the world. And they are still His. When He says, It is finished and completed, He's talking about those that had been given to Him in the past time. And so as we're looking at this word, I want to just give you a, a quick summation of what it means. It means to fulfill, to finish, to complete. As a noun, it means a goal, a purpose. See, It can mean to be mature. In other words, when you grow up, you're finished, you're, you've grown up into maturity. It's actually when it says the finisher of our faith, some men put in the perfecter of our faith. And so again, we see Christ as He's here and He says, it is finished. We have to ask the question because there is a, there's a subject and there's a verb. In the Greeks, all, it's all in one word. Thirst is one word. Again, finished is one word. I thirst. Absolute one, one five, I thirst. Now, He's saying, it is finished. Perfect tense. It's finished, but there's results to go. So what is it? The it is. The it is the subject of the verb. And so now, as he says, it is finished again. That which is finished is his keeping up and fulfilling all of the will of his Father for our salvation. And so when we ask the question in our catechism, I sure to can, what are the decrees of God? You'll notice they use a singular in defining them. He says, the decrees of God are His eternal purpose according to the counsel of His own will, whereby He for His own glory hath ordained whatsoever comes to pass. Now, notice the definition is very broad in singularity. The decrees, plural, or one thing, His eternal will, singular. See, God in all things, because He is God, 
He has ordained whatsoever comes to pass. There's no question, nothing that happens, good, bad, or indifferent, that He has not ordained. That's His whole will. Everything that happens in the world is guided and directed by God and His providence, but it's directly in Him that it happens. Without Him, nothing happens. And so that brings us again to the question now when Christ says, it is finished. The it is in application to, first of all, all things when, again, in the creation of man and creation of the earth. God in Trinity came together and covenanted to make the earth. They covenanted that there would be a fall. And that Adam, the father of all men, who sins in that covenant, fell, cast all of his seed into sin, and they all became dead in their trespasses and the sin, even before they were ever born. Though they're not sinners in reality before they sin, but they're born as sinners. There's no one who has ever come out of Adam apart from sinful. He's a sin lost. He has no hope in this life when his time for birth comes apart from Christ. And so in the first part of this, we see God ordained the creation. And God the Father is the administrator of all of creation. And he assigns and appoints God the Son, that is, we would say, the Word to create. John opens with that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. And again, he created all things. We see him there. We see also as we look, God the Father covenants with the Son to give him out of all the people whom Adam will be the father of in time before all those are already ordained. And God the Father gives to the Son a people out of all the people who will ever be born outside who are fallen in Adam with no hope, dead in their trespass, God the Father says, I will give you a people to be your own. God chose in Jesus Christ a people for Himself. Now the Father and the Son also covenanted together. The Son covenanted, covenanted with the Father to become man and to give Himself for those people the Father would give Him. See, that's the eternal decree of God about our salvation. God the Son would come and He would be a sacrifice for those who were born sinners in Adam. No other way of salvation. No man can come into me except it were given Him by God the Father. But now, Christ in His covenant... Again, volunteers. Now, what must he do in that? This is part of the will of the Father. Christ must, first of all, become a man and be a surety, that is, a guarantee for all those born of Adam, from Adam to the last person who will ever be saved on this earth. Christ, before time, became a surety. As the Son of God, as the Word God, before He became a man, but He had already given Himself and promised 
as surety that all those the Father would give him, he would save them by applying his blood to them, dying for them. And the Holy Spirit covenanted with the Father and the Son that he would apply life and the completed work of Christ to all those that the Father had given him. Remember in creation, it was the work of the Holy Spirit to give life to all of creation that would become alive. That is, he didn't make life for stones and rocks, asteroids. He made life for the green grass and all the vegetation, all the protozoan, that is the one-celled animals, all the animals. And now for man, he made man in his own image and the Holy Spirit breathed into him the breath of life. This same Holy Spirit would also bring forth the life for the Word of God, that is the Son, Jesus Christ, who becomes the Son in the flesh. He's the only begotten Son of God, the only one born. How was He born? He was born of the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. The Holy Spirit is the one who caused her to conceive of Jesus Christ of Nazareth in her womb. She was a daughter of Adam. Therefore, Christ inherited her, her weaknesses that were the consequences of sin. He would cry as a baby when he was hungry. He would have fevers. He would go through all the things of childhood. When his father died, he had to bear the family burdens, the pills, and all the responsibility for his brothers and sisters. We find that he weeps. We find that he's hungry. He thirsts. He can go through all the temptations that we go through, but without sin. That's all part of the will of God. And so we see as the Holy Spirit's walking with him, the, the Trinity is an active part of all of our salvation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in Trinity. And three persons, each person of that one trinity is working together. Now, Christ, when he says, it is finished, he who, become, who, who would become the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. That's what he was doing on the cross. He was fulfilling all the will of God for him as a man when he came into this world. And so now Christ is fulfilling the will of the Father. And when He says, it is finished, it is accomplished, He wasn't saying, it stops here. It's done. Everything that is necessary or would be necessary has been done for our salvation. The surety, the guarantee of the promise for Adam after the fall when God regenerated his heart. And all those the Father has given to him, the Holy Spirit does. See, the Holy Spirit applies the completed work of Christ. Now, remember, it is the Holy Spirit who makes man alive to believe. That is, the dead sinner alive to believe. The man does not believe to become alive. That's what Arminianism teaches, Pentecostalism. All those who don't like reformed thinking and election predestination, 
They don't believe God chose you before the foundation of the world because He can't know what your free will is. It's not free if He knows. See, the point is that Christ is drawing for us. But there again, we believe because we've been made alive. And what Christ does when He makes us alive, He makes our hearts alive, our minds alive to receive the things of God. The Holy Spirit regenerates, rebirths us and in so doing, He applies the work of Christ. He, again, in our regeneration, we receive from Christ justification. That is, before God's law, we are no longer found guilty. There's now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. As Christ told the disciples, you're already clean. You just need to have your feet washed because you're walking on dirty roads. A Christian is declared by God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has done two things to bring us our justification. First of all, Christ Himself, in active obedience to the law of God, has kept every jot and every tittle of the law. Everything. He was absolutely perfect in relationship to the law. Every jot and every tittle. Now, God says, we are in Christ, and God sees us, not who we are, but He sees us in Christ, and therefore Christ before the law has settled all the law's demands by meeting them. Now He sees us in Christ, and therefore God says, I'm declaring that you have kept the law. There's no more final judgment coming to you. You do need to be washed. You need to be sanctified, because you live in a sinful world. You need to continuously be confessing your sins because I'm continuously cleansing you, but you've already been, that day of court has already become. But Christ also now, having been declared by Herod and Pilate, free before the law, there's no guilt in this system, there's nothing this man can be charged with. He's now taken and he's crucified for us. That's what we call the passive obedience. It's not passive because there's nothing happening. It's happening because Christ allows it. As the sheep before his shears is dumb. Christ opens not his mouth. He gives himself to them. That's what he's doing when he says, I thirst, it is finished. I'm laying down. He says, he gave up the ghost. He didn't, it wasn't taken from him. But Christ now dies in our place. That's a passive obedience. He met all the law's demands being perfect, but he also met the law's demands in punishment for our sin. Sin has to be paid for. And so he pays for it for us. But now, as we come to our text again also, remember we said that this word, it is, it is finished, is a perfect tense, meaning there's something that happened in the past, but there's ongoing results. Remember, the result of His salvation, one of those things, the result of His salvation, is when we're made alive, we're justified. We actually are adopted into the family of God. Christ is the only begotten Son, but we are adopted. We are sanctified, means we are set apart from the world. We are set apart unto God. We have been sanctified, set apart. We are continuously being sanctified, that is, we are more and more like our Father every day, supposedly. We become like Him. Be holy as I am holy. 
One day we will be glorified. That is, we will become just like the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We will have not to worry about sin because we won't be able to sin. We don't want to sin. We will be completely holy as He is holy. In the flesh, we will be like Him. Not divine. We will be incorruptible and immortal. That's what He means when He says that. That's how we, how we will be like. When we see Him, we'll be like Him. But now also, we see Christ now also. Something happens to Him. Remember now, Christ... After he gives up the ghost and he says it is finished. Is it finished? Our salvation is finished, but there has to be a declaration that the Father has accepted it. And so now death could not hold him, the book of Acts tells us. Because he was perfect. He was God and he was man. But also, when he came forth out of the grave, it says... Rising, He justifies. We would not know that God had received His work unless He came out of the grave and came out of the grave alive to show. He's proclaiming He is the just one, the fulfiller of God's law. We are in Him. He's declaring that we have already had our day in court and now He rules and reigns. And again, God has received His payment for us. And now God is going to do what He says. Remember, He kept telling them, God the Father's will was me for the come to come. But when I've come and when I've completed it, I'm going back to my Father. Christ now goes back to His Father. But how does He go back? Remember Psalm 2, which we read this morning. I will declare the decree Jehovah has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. When we come to the book of Acts twice, in, in 1 chapter 4 and chapter 13 especially, it says this was the day of resurrection, was his declaration that thou art my son. It's much like an earthly king has a son and he grows up and there becomes this day, he's always, in one sense, he's always his son. He's always a king in one sense. He's not active, but there comes that point in life now when he will come to the throne. This is the day that the Lord now comes to the This day, this day, ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your people, for your inheritance. I have done that, and Acts tells it twice. And in chapter 4, he goes through the whole thing. As David had said, Thou art my son. So again, throughout the rest of the script, New Testament, we find it over and over. So Christ is son. He's still God. And so now we see as we look at now what a man by the name of John Ed, Eddie, Edie or Eddie, says in his commentary on... Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, where we find there, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them of the law. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. All these things were part of that will of God that he says, it's finished, it's done. But there's still this other part. Because he says again that God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, 
And it's easy not to, to forget that that's the proclamation to Jesus of Nazareth, not to God the Son, who is God eternal, the Word. It does apply to Him. But now what Edie tells us, he, when he's talking about, he says, Paul wrote these words, and his thoughts are this. He says, that his, this form of God was laid aside in the days of his humility. In other words, he didn't lay aside his deity. He laid aside the prerogatives of God. And even in those, sometimes he fulfilled the prerogatives of God. He made food out of nothing. He made it grow. He raised the dead. Made lame people to walk. He showed forth that he was God. And God says he was a witness to himself that he was from God. But this is what he's saying. In the days of humiliation and obedience, and that in his exaltation, he has not simply resumed it. In other words, he's saying that when Christ said it is finished and he came forth and raised out of dead, he didn't just kind of resume his deity and, and he and God the Father again in deity, each of the persons of the Trinity fellowship together was now resuming. He's not saying, he says, that didn't just, they didn't just resume. He was always God. He was not always man, but he took upon him flesh. And so he says, but a higher glory was now been conferred upon him. Not that the infinite luster of the Godhead can, be, can in itself be decreased, but a new element is introduced. Now he's talking about to the Trinitarian seats around the throne of God together in unity and fellowship. It's now that Jesus Christ of Nazareth in the flesh, in human nature, is present. It's been elevated with Christ at the throne of God, the triune God. And so he's, he's brought on, a, it says, a higher glory, a higher luster. He says, a higher glory has now been conferred on him. Not the infinite luster of the Godhead can in itself be increased, but a new element is introduced. The human nature of Christ, the nature in which he veiled the, his glory and stooped to death. Ah, such a death has been elevated. Or in other words, he has added a new glory to his original splendor the glory acquired as Redeemer in our nature to the original possessed with the Father ere the world was. Now, when we get to heaven, we will see Jesus Christ of Nazareth, second person of the Trinity. In flesh, we will not see His deity. No man can see God. But we see Christ, and as Christ said, if you have seen me, you've seen my Father. In Him dwells all the Godhead bodily. And we will see Him. We will be like Him. And this is the glory of Jesus Christ now. As Ephesians tells us, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Jehovah to the glory of the Father. This is the thing. Think, Jesus Christ, as to His humanity, He's seated in one place. As to His divinity, He's present everywhere. And yet now, as not unlike it was before when He became man, He chose not to be able to be present or know what was happening all over. 
It says, when he knew this, he did this. He was like man. He learned. But now, in his humanity, there's no separation. He knows all as Jesus of Nazareth. He knows all as God together. And yet, in his flesh, he's in one place. And his deity is all present. And he sees all things as he is in man now. It is finished. Our salvation has been earned. It has been paid for. And all those that the Father has given to him will come in time. And you and I are to be those who are instruments of calling them to him. May God be praised. Lord, thank you for your goodness and mercy. Thank you for your so great a salvation that you humbled yourself and became obedient unto death, that you might save us from our sins, that we might be with you eternally. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.